bread and we've heard it spoken as it's been spoken throughout the centuries. Thank you. Thank you for the history of the early church, which we get to look at in the book of Acts. Thanks for this passage today. May it be spoken in a way that brings you glory and that motivates and moves your church forward um, in your ways. We ask in your name. Amen. So uh, again, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Today we're talking about Acts chapter 4, and uh, the theme for today is a bold word, a word of boldness, but I want to begin by thinking about maybe just something a little bit broader, and that's a good word. Like, having been in different conversations over the years, uh, you probably heard people say that, right? Like, that's a good word. Like, and what do we mean when we say that? That's a good word. That means that was something I needed to hear. Or sometimes it can be a little bit more painful, a little bit more truthful. Like, ooh, that's a good word. Like, I needed to hear that. I received that. <clears throat> When's the last time someone shared a good word with you or you heard a good word? Maybe it was <clears throat> a piece of news that uh, came across uh, your desk or your phone or whatever earlier this week. Uh, I know a lot of people were encouraged uh, when the most recent unemployment numbers came up. And lo and behold, there were 2.5 million jobs added back to the unemployment picture. And some of that was people coming back to work. Some of that was industry starting to restart. But a lot of people saw those numbers, 2.5 million, and said, yeah, that's a good word. Like, we'll take some good news right now. And I'll just say this too. As much as there is attention and good focus, hard focus on really complicated and important issues today, dealing with the pandemic, the, the huge conversation we're having around race and injustice, it is okay to hear a good word and to receive it. Like, don't feel guilty by people giving you a compliment or saying something to you and going, no, I just, I need to hear that right now. Like, it's a good thing to hear a good word. So it's a good piece of news. A lot of parents uh, in our church heard this very good piece of news this week. Schools are planning on being back in person in the fall. Keyword planning. Like, we shall see exactly how this plays out. But for now, our state is saying we would like to plan on kids being back in school. And that loud noise that you heard earlier this week was a wail of joy from all the parents who are excited to send their kids back off to school. That's a good word. It can be a word of encouragement. A good word can be a word of encouragement. Our small group last week was having a great discussion and someone shared from our group about just this move they were hoping to make, this kind of career shift that they were looking at. And we all together said, yes, like that is good. Like we're with you, like go get it, like make that happen. That's a good word because it's a word of encouragement that people in a community can offer one another towards something. Don't quit, don't give up, keep going. Maybe you've offered a word like that recently. That's a good word. What we're going to talk about in our text today is actually a bold word. And the way that I want to think about a bold word, like I mentioned in the introduction, it's not being a talking head or throwing out, you know, some tweet or something like that. That's not boldness. Boldness in the sense of what our scriptures are talking about is being able to speak plainly, being able to speak directly to someone or to a situation. And we see this word come up several times just in Acts chapter 4. It actually happened in the passage right before the one Vincent read for us, where the disciples, Peter and John, come back and they speak a bold word. Their boldness is the reason that they experience God's freedom 
when they're facing the, San, the Sadducees, the people that want to lock them up, tell them to stop talking about Jesus. It's their boldness that wins the day. And it's not the same as brashness. It's not the same as arrogance. It's something different. The way I want to encourage you to think about this today is a bold word. It's a good word, but it's a word that might sting a little. It's a word that might be a little costly because it forces us to look at ourselves. I think a bold word is what uh, the best counselors bring to bear in your conversations with them. When your counselor says to you, look, I don't know if you see it this way, but here's how I see it. Do you agree with this? Is this what you want for your life? That's a bold word. When you're pointed toward the truth and it stings a little bit and it's a little costly for you to make a move toward transformation. That's what we're going to talk about today as we look at the scriptures. So there's going to be kind of three different action steps. Our headings for today are actually the how-to, like how can I make this walk and talk in my, my life? What do you mean a bold word? Three different steps that I want to encourage us to consider, all coming from the text. The first is to share a good word. The second is to make time for the word. And the third is to boldly declare the power of the word. Share a good word, make time for the word, and boldly declare the power of the word. Now, before we get into that very quick context, kind of catching us up, we're in Acts chapter 4. The people of God are now embarking on the mission of God. Jesus has died. He was buried. He was raised to new life. A whole big group of believers have seen this, and now they are inspired. They are filled with power. Pentecost has happened. And right after Pentecost, these two disciples, Peter and John, <clears throat> are used by God to heal a man who has never been able to walk in his entire life. They help bring healing to this man right there in the temple in front of some religious authorities. They get in trouble. They get thrown in jail. They're released from jail, like we said a moment ago, because of their boldness, because they were able to speak so convincingly, so powerfully about Jesus Christ. And so we catch up to them in a moment uh, where they are coming back to their community to share what's happened to them. They've been gone for a little while. People are maybe starting to wonder like, hey, what happened to Peter and John? And so we pick up the text in verse 23, where Peter and John come back and share a word with their community. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter four, I'll just read verse 23 for us. After they, Peter and John were released, they went to their friends, their, their cadre, their people, and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. What had they said to them? They'd said, stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about the resurrection. That's what the people in authority are saying to these disciples. Look, we know you believe this, but you can't keep talking about this. It's too disruptive. Don't do it. And Peter and John basically say, well, we hear you, but that's the whole point. We have to speak boldly about this. When you know something that is so profound and so true, you can't just sit on it. You got to go talk about it. And so these two guys take that word back to their community. And essentially what they say to them is, y'all, you, you're not going to believe what just happened. Like, this is crazy, but you're not going to believe this. We got to go to the temple. We were a part of this man being healed. He asked us for money and we said, how about we help you walk instead? And he said, yeah, that sounds like a good deal. So we helped him walk. Like Jesus restored his ability to walk. He'd never been able to walk before. That's crazy. And then we got thrown in jail for doing that. And then we spent the night in jail and that wasn't so great. And then the next day we had this argument with these leaders and they basically said, well, we can't argue you down. So stop talking about him. You can go now. Isn't that crazy? That's the craziest story ever. And you can imagine all of them standing around excitedly talking about this. 
And what happens when you're in a group and someone brings back to you a good word, a word of encouragement, a hopeful piece of news? It's great because everybody in the group celebrates. Everybody in the group gets to say, this is awesome. I am so for this happening right now. This is terrific. And so all that they're doing, all that the disciples are doing, this is not complicated. This does not take a big old, you know, fancy set of theological ideas. All this is, is sharing what God has done. And they come back to their friends and they share it with them. They speak the truth. God did this and they're encouraged by it. I'm a words of encouragement person. This is like one of my top love languages. You want to know the route straight to my heart. It's food and words of encouragement. Ask my wife. Like I'm pretty simple that way. And I really value these words of encouragement that come to me from time to time, whether it's a thank you note or an email. Just this past week, I got a text message from someone, a parent who's connected to our tween ministry. And the text was just so wonderful. It just said, hey, my kid is in this tween ministry right now. Like they're texting me as this is happening. And they're reporting how this, this young person is asking really good questions and they're having a great dialogue with our tween leaders. So Kristen and Anna and Will Rosen and others, they're having this wonderful dialogue. And I'm so thankful. That's all the tweet said. It was just like, or the text said, I'm so grateful that we have this ministry and that my kid is benefiting from that. That's a good word, church. Wherever you are, just say that with me. That's a good word. Like that should put a smile on our face. That even in the midst of this crazy time, kids are being cared for. They're being taught. They're being formed. They know that there's a group of adults out there that love them and are with them and for them. That is a good word. And we as a church need to be able to give and receive those good words. So the practical step for us is who needs to hear a good word in your life this week? Maybe you need a good word. And let me just encourage you, ask God for a good word. He, he will not fail you to encourage you to find a way to kind of build up your spirit because he loves you. He delights in you. So ask him for a good word if you're feeling down. Ask him for the opportunity to give a good word to somebody else. Maybe it's sending a text like the one that I received. Maybe it's finally emailing that person and saying, you know what, you did me a solid a couple weeks back. I never got a chance to thank you, but thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Maybe it's calling somebody on the phone and just saying, hey, I was thinking about you. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for our relationship. Whatever it is, find a way this week to give a good word. That's step one. Now step two is kind of how do you get the soil right? How do you till the soil of your heart in such a way that you want to give a good word? And later on, that you want to speak the word with boldness. This is just where we make time for the word. This is part two. We're making time for the word. I won't read this in detail, but in verses 24 through 26 of the text today, the people of God gather together to worship God and they're reading the word. Verses 24 through 26 are kind of a summary of Genesis chapter 1, the creation account. And then there's a direct quote from Psalm, from Psalm 2. It's right there in the text. Their worship is built around the word, just like ours is. We want people to encounter the word, the scriptures that God has given to us in the Bible, every time we gather for worship. And so the question is, how do you make time for the word? The disciples certainly made time for it. They built it into their worship. This is how they responded to God's activity in their life through the reading and the hearing of the word. So how do you make time for the word in our busy days, which really aren't as busy as they used to be, right? It's setting aside that time 
It's making it a priority for you, for your roommates, for your family. For me, it's got to be first thing in the morning. Like if I don't get into the scripture first thing in the morning, just for my own edification, not whatever I'm teaching on that week, not whatever I got to go do a lesson on somewhere else, just for me. And this morning, as it is often the case on Sunday mornings, I, I give myself a little bit more time to really sit with the word. And so I read through Deuteronomy chapter one and the first Psalm one and Mark one, kind of a Old Testament, New Testament, and then a Psalm or a proverb in the middle. If you're looking for a way to start making the word a part of your life, just grab a hold of that. Try that. Try it this week. Say, you know what? I'm going to get up 20 minutes earlier. I'm going to make my coffee a little stronger, and I'm going to do this. There's all kinds of ways to make time for the word. A bunch of us committed to reading Psalm 91 for the last 91 days. Like, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know a bunch of you did this. Our friends in the ministry of Young Life were reading Psalm 91 for 91 days as a way to ask God to heal and bring redemption during this time of pandemic. And I believe that it made a big impact on my family. We read Psalm 91 every day at breakfast together. If I started to get up from the breakfast table and we hadn't read Psalm 91, my kids reminded me of that. And I love that. I love that for the rest of their lives, I hope and pray Psalm 91 will be connected to these days and these moments of asking God for healing. So maybe that's what you get to do is you get to read something daily and let it really sink into your heart and to your mind. There's so many other ways. There's tons of apps and resources out there for making sure you're in the word. If you want to know more, send me a note, but make time for the word is the second heading, the second action step for today. If you're a practical person, I hope you are eating this stuff up, man. You've already got two action steps. Now you're going to have a third one. Like it's Christmas for you. If you're like a big to do person, right? Like you're welcome. Part three is boldly declaring the power of the word. This is where we're going to get into what that word boldness means. It comes up in the New Testament a fair amount, and it's the Greek word parousia, parousia, and it means freedom in speaking, boldness of speech, frankness, plain, unadorned language. Well, what does that mean? Well, as you know, Jesus taught in parables, and one of the things that the disciples would say to him after he would teach in a parable was they would use this word kind of, kind of as like a little push against him. So if you want to look at John 16 on your own time, the disciples say to him, Lord, we can understand you now. You're speaking parousia. You're speaking plainly. You're speaking directly to us. You're not kind of masking your words anymore. So it's when Jesus teaches the disciples straight on so they can understand it. And like I mentioned earlier, it's also pops up, this word also pops up in Acts 14. Peter and John overwhelm their accusers because of their boldness, their simplicity of speech, their straightforward truthfulness, straight to the heart kind of speech. And what I think this reflects is, again, a different understanding of the word bold than we might have at the top of our minds. We think boldness and we think someone who's brash and brazen and kind of says whatever they want to say, let the chips fall where they may, I'm just going to speak this. And it's more nuanced than that. I think those who are able to speak boldly have been shaped by the gospel, have been shaped by the good news of Jesus Christ in such a way that they just want to tell people the direct, straightforward truth about who God is and what Jesus has done in their lives. And that's a comfort for me personally. I tend to be someone that spends a lot of time up here kind of operating in my mind. And I, sometimes I'll think to myself like, oh, well, I got to get this, this speech or this idea perfectly formed. And I got to make sure I cross my T's and dot my I's or else it's just not going to be as effective. 
And I think what the calling is here, this comes in verse 31 of the text, to speak the word with boldness is not to aim at perfection. It's not to aim at getting every jot and tittle of our words right. It is instead to say, look, here's what I know about Jesus Christ. Here's the difference that he's made in my life. And every one of us, just for showing up at church on Sunday, we probably have some version of that story. Here's a way that Jesus changed me, or he changed someone that I love. And all we do is we just tell the straightforward and true story of that. Doesn't have to be anything fancy. But as Pastor Tim Keller says, the gospel is neither swaggering nor sniveling. And so our words need to be neither filled with swagger and presumption or need to be filled with this sniveling kind of debasement of our experience. I had an experience uh, with actually a member of my family last fall around this subject of boldness. Uh, We were on a vacation together. There were a bunch of us renting a house together. And it was that time in the evening that you all know when you go on vacation. If you have kids, you'll really appreciate this. It's when everything is kind of quiet, right? And you're on vacation, so you can just rest. There's not a lot going on. You don't have to get up and go to work in the morning. And the dishes are done. The meal's over with. The kids are asleep. Like, kind of picture yourself in this warm, kind of safe place. And a group of us are sitting around at the dining table. We're just talking. We're just hanging out. And all of a sudden, this family member, who I'll call John, he starts to kind of move the conversation a little bit more toward things of faith. And you really could have knocked me over with a feather, honestly, because as much as I love and respect John, I've not known him to be a person that was really interested in these types of discussions. He's a good man, but he's a secular man. He's a man who's a scientist who really values like empirical evidence and like show me the data and that kind of thing. And I really respect him for it. But sometimes it's hard to have conversations of faith kind of around that. And so we're sitting here at the dinner table and John starts to talk about faith. He doesn't use those words at first. It's kind of a gradual conversation. First, we're kind of talking about belief. And then it starts to go on a little bit further. Then we're talking about spirituality. You know, you can kind of see how we're going a few levels down here. And the conversation, to make a long story short, ends up being about how can you trust the Bible? How do you know that the Bible is accurate, that what it says is true? Which, by the way, is one of the number one most important questions that people outside of faith in Jesus Christ really want to know. And it's a really important question, one that I think we could all benefit from learning more about. And so I kind of took a deep breath. It kind of felt like the Holy Spirit was sort of riding us along this wave, like, hey, I'm just carrying you right now. You're just a vessel for me. And I was comforted by that, again, because I didn't have to try to go back and come up with the perfect way to explain this to him. I just kind of got to speak from my own experiences with God's Word, how God's Word has challenged me in really important times in my life, and how it's spoken words of comfort to me how I looked to God's word after my dad died to really fill in those gaps in my broken heart. And to to John's point, how I think the Bible really is trustworthy, how there are so many manuscripts of the scriptures and we believe it and we hold it to be true. And there are lots of other ancient documents that don't have nearly as much evidence behind them. And somehow those are more elevated in our day. Somehow the Bible is mythologized and turned into this sort of weightless tract but it's so much more. And we had a great conversation. 
And I told a friend about that conversation with John later on. And they said, I'm sorry, what? John had that conversation with you? Are you kidding? He's not interested in that kind of thing. But he was. And we've had some follow-up conversations. I sent him a book that I thought would be helpful. The point I'm trying to make is not that John had this amazing conversion moment. This is one of many steps I pray toward his conversion. But it was a moment where the boldness that I believe God called me to be able to offer him in that moment, it wasn't just like hammering against the truth. It was simply saying, look, here's my experience of this. As straight as I can tell it, as clear as I can tell it, Here's how God has made a difference in my life. And I want to offer that up as an encouragement because I know you, church. I know so many of you have these gifts of evangelism and witness, and I know many of us don't. And many of us would say, you know, my story isn't that spectacular. I, don't, I wouldn't have a lot to offer a conversation like that. Good for you, Travis, your pastor, but like, I'll leave that to you professionals. And I would just say, please don't. <laughs> please don't. Trust me when I tell you that the boldness that God wants for you based on what he has said here in the text is a boldness that is so much bigger than you and your own estimation of your abilities. Verse 31 is so powerful because listen to this. It says this of the disciples. They've worshiped and it said, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Church, we can expect nothing less. And maybe your home hasn't been rattled and shaked lately. That's okay. But maybe it's something else. Maybe it's another experience of God pouring out his Holy Spirit resurrection power in your life and life of someone that you love, like my family member, John. And it's a shaking of your house in in a metaphorical sense. Maybe it's a literal thing. Maybe we should be praying that God would shake the foundations of our homes so that we trust him more, so that we see and experience his power. And like the text says, we're filled with confidence. Can you imagine? It would be terrifying to have your house shaken like that. And yet, if you know it's of God, you can kind of stand there and go, oh, wow, this is really happening right now. The same God who's able to do this can carry me into situations and use me for his glory. I got to go do this. I got to go do this. I got to share this bold word. Church, what's the bold word that God wants you to share this week or this month? Maybe you got a conversation coming up that you've been feeling nervous about. God, would you just let me share a bold word when I talk to so-and-so? God, would you speak a bold word to me? Would you demonstrate your power in my life so that I'm inspired, that I'm not this benign, vanilla Christian anymore? I want to go out and be so passionate for the desires that you have. And God, would you activate and motivate the stories you've given to me so that I can speak clearly, plainly, boldly to the people in my life? I believe we could change our city and our world if we had that kind of faith, church. I believe it's possible. So as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, we're going to transition now from this time of teaching to a time where we can kind of digest it and chew on it together in our breakout groups. And so you've got the breakout group questions in your digital bulletin, which we'll post again in the chat before you go. So first question is just kind of a warm up question. Just, you know, let's stir the pot a little bit. Let's get the talk going. And then I want you all to talk about a good word, something that just makes you smile a good word that was shared with you or that you heard about, something that encouraged you this past week. If you're not smiling when you're telling the story of the good word, like get that smile going. Like it should make you smile. And then the last one is just a question about this tension 
between confidence and boldness in faith and faith that may seem arrogant or prideful. We live in a day where being arrogant or prideful is just going to shut everything down, shut down the conversation, and honestly, it probably should. The church doesn't need to barter and trade in arrogance and pride. Instead, we need to follow the path that our Lord set for us, that the disciples modeled in the story today. So how do you walk out that tension, both between being confident and bold in your faith and having that humility, that grace and that gentleness that is so winsome and so needed? How do you navigate that tension? A suggestion is to maybe tell a story of someone that you admire, someone that you look up to who models that well, that confidence, that, that, that tension, like I said earlier, that's neither swaggering nor sniveling. They're just, they're able to speak their, their faith boldly. So let's go into our breakout rooms now. Let's have these conversations and then we'll gather back together in a little bit. Let me pray for us before we go. Lord, bless this time that we get to be in community. It honestly is such a highlight of my week to be able to be in these groups. So equip each person on this call to be in a group, to engage, to just share from their heart and to um, would your word move even deeper into each of our hearts through this time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So hang out for just a minute. We'll put you in breakout rooms and then we'll get back together in just a moment. Thanks.